Where will education be after the coronavirus pandemic? Higher education will come back better, broader, and more technically savvy uh, at the end of this. Um, Continue to get the work done and have high expectations of yourself. And at the end of the day, uh, they are capable of doing it. And learning new skill sets only prepares them to be better when they move beyond higher ed. So uh, I believe in you. I want students to know that everywhere. I believe in you. So uh, let's go and make it happen. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Michael Torrance, who is the president of Mont Lewis State Community College in Tennessee. He's a visionary in the use of digital technology, such as gaming, virtual reality, and augmented reality into teaching and learning to increase student engagement and success. He earned his PhD with a major in exceptional learning at Tennessee Tech University and a Master's of Art and Bachelor's of Art degree at South Dakota State University, both with a major in English. Dr. Torrance is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, serving as a senior airman from 1992 to 1996. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, friends. I'm happy to have my guest, Dr. Michael Torrance, the current president of Motlow State Community College in Tennessee. Providing education is a critical arm in the public health system, so our society can move forward in the discovery, the development, and the application of knowledge for the greater good. If you're listening to this episode, it is late March 2020, and the coronavirus pandemic has changed our way of life as a global society. Restaurants, library, many businesses, many public gatherings, and almost all schools in effective cities have closed nationwide and globally. The closure of schools has tremendous impact on our families, students, and communities. We're still trying to understand the unintended consequences of the current school closure policy on the future of our global society. In this episode, Dr. Torrance will share his insight on how higher educational leaders have responded to the coronavirus pandemic. At his college, using online educational technology is a form of innovative teaching and learning. Here he will share his advice for other educational leaders to quickly adapt to the innovative disruption in traditional on-site educational platform and how he supported his faculty, staff, and students during this time of uncertainty. So hello, Dr. Torrens. Thank you so much for being here today. So how are you doing right now? Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you today, Key. Uh, thank you so much for um, inviting me, and I appreciate the platform to to talk about where we are in terms of this pandemic. Uh, personally, um, I'm doing as well as I possibly can be. Uh, that's a that's an honest answer. I am mindful of lots of people who are uh, less fortunate, who have fewer resources uh, than as a human being uh, and, and a person living in this world in this space at this time that my family has and that others uh, in, in my community have. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm really thinking about lots of people who I'm not directly connected with at, at this point uh, and hoping that they're doing well. During this time of physical distancing, it gives us the space and time to reflect on who we've been connected to and how to reconnect with people. And it also reminds me of how we first got connected, Dr. Torrance. Maybe you can share with our audience how we first met. Oh, sure. And, and that, that does take me to a happy place. Uh, we met in Washington State. 
at the at Washington State University at the IELOL Online Learning Consortium, otherwise known as OLC, uh, gathering uh, to talk to the nation's leaders uh, and budding leaders about how to lead from where they were uh, and where they are in terms of being remote sometimes as uh, administrators or IDs, instructional designers, who had an interest in either growing what they already have or moving up the ranks in terms of responsibility, duties, and roles at their institutions or looking elsewhere uh, to, to, to grow. Uh, it, was a, it was a great week of engagement, laughing, uh, eating, um, and in some instances, dancing. Uh, but lots of good information was shared. And, you know, I think that we had a very, very connected group because I'm still in contact with about 25 of those folks. And yeah, my experience with the Institution of Emerging Leaders for Online Learning um, was a great opportunity for me to really learn new skills. And I really appreciate your mentorship during that time. And since develop a great mentorship where I reach out to you when I have questions about online education tools. So I really appreciate that. The, the irony of this whole thing is that, you know, I was trying to convince our institution to import more online education, online learning material. And now like automatically the whole university is now going online and just like other schools. Right. <laughs> right. So I didn't have to really yeah. do my pitch yeah, you're, you're so right. hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're right about the, the, the irony in it all. And for many institutions, it, it has accelerated uh, their thought process about how to leverage the use of mobile tools, uh, various m modalities um, that are focused on um, delivery of instruction in nuanced and emerging ways. The, the, the thinking behind what the various systems are doing when you think about your four-year institutions that are research-focused, uh, your four-year four -year institutions that have other foci, uh, but also community colleges, technical colleges, minority-serving institutions, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, as well as indigenous-serving colleges that may be on reservations across the U.S. These are groups that also, um, I, I am mindful of them as well, because I don't know that their transition is going to be as smooth. And if they have the infrastructures in place to, to migrate in, in the way that some other institutions have pivoted. So that's a thought process. So a lot of the, the, the thinking that our institution and our leadership has been doing and the conversations that we've been having is, yes, definitely about what we have to do as an institution to support our faculty who've done a Herculean job. They've, they've done a tremendous job in transitioning our face-to-face courses into online uh, in, a, in a short amount of time, as well as going through training to get prepared to, to start delivering instruction uh, this past Monday. But we're, we're not only just talking about ourselves, we're also thinking about ways in which we can assist and support our K-12 uh, partners, because that's also another system of, of education, uh, pre-K being one and then K-12, to, K to that were they really prepared and did they have the infrastructure in place to deliver uh, education remotely. It definitely sounds that this is an opportunity for everyone to be involved in some capacity and how colleges can work with um, the community in different ways to help survive and thrive through this pandemic that we're all experiencing. 
Dr. Torrens, can you tell us more about your role as a college president of Motlow State Community College in Tennessee and how your role shifted since the coronavirus pandemic and what lessons learned can you share with us? Well, the, the, the good thing about the lens and how I look at the work that I, and I get to do uh, because it is it is something that I feel that I get to do it. It's, it's not something that I'm doing um, to anyone. Uh, I'm honored to serve as the president, the seventh president at Model State Community College, where my lens has been about technology, uh, emerging platforms, uh, mechatronics, robotics, automation, uh, CAV technology, as well as uh, where the future lays in terms of preparing not only the students who are going through traditional programs, but also in preparation for the workforce that we don't know what those job skill sets are going to be in the future. So Motlow, over the last 23 months, we were already getting prepared with um, allocating large amounts of resources, both people and, and dollars and time in preparation to expand our, our ability to deliver instruction in different ways and to further develop the skill sets of already existing employees while recruiting and seeking employees who could assist us taking the next steps as an institution. Uh, we want every department to get better. We want every role at the institution to get better. My role at the college has been coach, cheerleader, confidant, uh, obviously leading the institution, uh, as well as uh, focusing on student success, workforce development, data, and technology. Those would be our four pillars. We've worked with the Achieving the Dream Network. We've worked with institutions and organizations like Labaki Inc., Doghead Simulations, Rooney, Stella. Um, these are some of the more emerging platforms that are available for uh, augmented reality and ex extended reality. And we're also utilizing things that have been pre-existing for top for a long time, but in my humble opinion, underutilized like Merlot and Skills Commons. Um, the online learning consortium that we met at Key has also been a, a great repository for accessing information uh, for me as a president to beg questions of other presidents uh, and those who are serving as CAOs across the country uh, and also sometimes internationally to ask, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Specifically in this time of this pandemic, how are we going to use tools such as Zoom, Google Hangout, or Cisco WebEx, for example, and, you know, not endorsing any of these, but I'm just mentioning them as here are ways in which we're doing our best to stay connected. And I think that's really important that it's beyond uh, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and, and Microsoft Teams and FaceTime uh, ways to stay connected. There, there are going to be, I believe, platforms that emerge that make more sense for us to, to stay connected. And as president of the institution, that is one of the, the primary uh, focuses for me going forward is communication, staying connected with our pandemic emergency management team, but as well with, with every employee. Uh, I don't want to miss being connected to anyone. So sending out emails is one thing, videos is another, uh, but a phone call goes a long way. Uh, and I really believe in using all mediums and modalities to stay connected to the people that I, I get to work with every day. That makes, I mean, what you said, that sometimes just a simple phone call, which is something that we 
um, don't really do anymore, right? We just text, everything's all very social, we just spread, but just a simple phone call, just to check in can can really help someone like like move through the day, right? Just to hear someone else's voice because now we don't really see anybody or, or around anybody. So I think just even these simple gestures, just to check in with a phone call can make such a huge difference. And, and just these simple things that we used to take for granted, right? The, like how much of a workplace can really impact your morale as a person and, and part of the organization. Yeah, I mean, think, think about like when you, when people who have uh, over the course of their careers, it has been part of their lived experience. And this is a part of, you know, having and creating great work environments. Part of their lived experience is the fact that I may be having a bad day, but I know that I'm going to see Kim or I'm going to see Jeffrey or I'm going to see Donald. Um, and they usually have great energy. So as human beings, our social networks have impacted how we function throughout the day, both, both positively and negatively, obviously. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting exercise going forward to see how we utilize this space uh, to stay connected um, in, in ways that, one, we haven't done before, um, but there's going to have to be a little bit more intentionality behind why we connect, how we connect, and the action items that comes out of that connection. Because uh, think about it. There's nothing that does there, there. I don't think there's ever an interaction where there isn't anything that comes out of it. Uh, it's usually good or bad or it's like, eh, right? Yeah. And I was wondering, just to follow up on you, what you said about providing augmented reality and virtual reality and maybe the application of artificial intelligence as part of educational platform in a virtual world. Right. I was wondering if you could maybe speak more about that because I think a lot of institutions are who have been teaching you know at a brick and mortar place may not have access or understand the implication of using you know AR VR and AI in education so and I know in your college and you're an innovator and who is very innovative in using online technology is like how can we yeah and and how can we use these different ways of AI and augmented reality, virtual reality, and to supplement the on-campus experience. So love to just, if you can just share that. Yeah, sure. So I want to categorize it as, as we socially distance, we still need to stay virtually connected. And the, the idea behind all of these folks who should be applauded, um, not just because of their job, but people in the, in the healthcare and emergency management service areas, you know, we should give them a shout out as well for their commitment to, to helping us as a nation get better and uh, they're, they're taking care of our needs. But that is a group that utilization of extended reality. I've seen some, some research from some of the physicians at Cedar sinai where they're utilizing augmented and virtual reality and extended reality to prep for surgery or to make incisions or very, very complex uh, surgeries but they are doing it in the XR space first prior to engaging in, in, in the cutting and insertion uh, and manipulation of a person's physical form, their bodies. Uh, so I've seen that take place. Obviously, this is going to be a medium or, excuse me, a, a, a modality that is going to expand because 
one, I think it helps save costs, and I think that it actually will help people save save lives, where you can practice on uh, a real-time replica of someone's physical form and make sure that things work before you actually do it, or practice doing the actual application uh, of surgery. Then that's just one example, uh, being, being a surgeon, uh, before you actually uh, engage in it. So the, the allied health or healthcare field will see this move by leaps and bounds because of the applications of it, especially through telehealth. Uh, and that's another application when uh, people are trying to diagnose and make sense of what people's ailments may be, but they are too far away. Uh, this is another option for them. And the VR space, although it is continuing to develop, because uh, I don't want to misre- misrepresent where companies are and what's being used, it's still developing. And, but it's, the boundaries are being pushed, and it's it's a great thing to see. And in other spaces, in terms of advanced manufacturing, uh, robotics, uh, and when we think about the idea of a blockchain, the use of uh, AI in that space with, with the cab technology, autonomous vehicles, <clears throat> we're seeing the use of uh, these platforms as a way to make decisions based on data, um, that informs, uh, not because of or in spite of, but data that informs uh, these analytics that are predictive enough to let us know, okay, uh, how can we make sure that when we roll this, these tools out that are supposed to be for the benefit of the human condition? And I really believe that that is one of the questions that personally I'm trying to solve, uh, hopefully within my lifetime, that the, the whole and sole purpose of advancing technology and utilizing technology is to benefit the human condition, uh, but it's going to be for what purpose and for what reason, and more importantly, how are we going to do that to make sure that it is a, a benefit and uh, taking away the idea that we're trying to replicate or replace human beings and the functions that they do on a daily basis. Uh, these tools should be used to enhance life, uh, and I, I really believe that's the, the, the way that we're going in. As an institution, uh, my colleagues at Motlow, and that would include faculty, staff, students, as well as uh, administration and our community members, as well as those retirees and emeritus faculty, it's all of us, uh, they have not bought in to the idea, but they believe in the idea. And I think that's a very different distinction, that we have a, a small group, as every organization usually has early adopters, who are very much interested in how to take VR, AR, and XR, as well as other uh, emerging modalities, and utilize them for the purposes of teaching and learning, uh, research, as well as uh, community engagement. So I'm really excited about that uh, as the president of Motlo, seeing our, our community move towards thinking about how can this tool be useful to enhance their lives. What you just said about using data to help simulate in real time, and I could imagine that right now, you know, thinking about teaching about public health courses and using real data right now could be a good teaching moment for students to just simulate different scenarios and different policies that have been implemented and looking at new data as we're gathering is, can we do these simulations to project based on data that's provided and also make these projections, like what policies should we consider 
the next week or in the next month. If the pandemic continues or decreases or plateaus, like what are all the different options? So I think taking advantage of the technology we have here and given the context of what's happening in our lives, that we can shift as educators to use this information to educate our students in real time, like what they're applying, what they're learning in school they can actually apply their knowledge. And so it's another way to help them empower the situation. Because I think that right now, because I'm a, a teacher too, and some of my students are a little bit very nervous, right? And even they're studying public health, like they see what's happening. And so they're a little bit nervous as what's going to happen. Like, are they going to stay indoor? What will happen with their education? So it's like me. And then, so I was telling them that, well, use this opportunity to apply what you've learned in class to see what's happening, what's, you know, what policies are being made or what the programs are being provided like could we do better as a as a community like what can you do and so i think maybe as educator we can also think about like what are other ways we could support our students you know beyond just providing them educational material so like what have you and your staff been doing to support students and faculty through this historical moment yeah you know i'm glad you asked that you know we i, I sent something out to our uh administrative team that has quite a bit of responsibility in terms of supervision and I, and I asked them just some very simple questions that I think will take us a long way. And that is, do we have what we need? And need is the operative word there. I and mean, I'm speaking about not just technically uh, and, and tools that we that we need, but also mindfully and spiritually. Um, and, and you know, that's a a space where you have to be careful of navigating because uh, you don't want to lean in or push your ideological views on anyone. But I think it's an important question to beg because we have to balance uh, as individuals primarily. We have to balance first as yourself before you can help others. Uh, and, you know, so that's that's one of the things that we've been talking about. And obviously, uh, one of the things that's a mantra for our organization and institution is the Motlo family. So families first. Before you can get to the job, before you can get to the work, before you can get to supervisor responsibilities of people outside of your nuclear family, you need to make sure that your family is okay and that they are well. And that is both those who live in your home and maybe those that are uh, states away. Because if you mentally are not able to dig in uh, at this point because someone's hurting or you can't get to someone, and, and, you know, there are cases out there uh, across the U.S. where we're hearing more and more about elder care and the, the, the lack of ability for people to actually go and see their grandparents or their, 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 elder, their elder, elder parents uh, at this time. And I know that's really difficult for people. So a mindfulness and an intentionality for us as, as an institution uh, to think beyond just the work that needs to be done. your college prepare for the shift to online curriculum and to work remotely in such a short period of time? And it might be helpful to provide any tips and strategy to share with other institutions. Sure. So as I said, we were moving towards uh, enhancing our infrastructure, meaning our bandwidth and our servers, making sure that they were up to date uh, with the, the most cost-effective tools uh, and cloud tools that we could we could purchase. We also began training uh, last summer um, where we met with a large contingency of not just faculty but staff, uh, some students, 
administrators and invited community members to come if they had time uh, about how to use mobile tools and introduce them to, to things such as advanced manufacturing, cyber, as well as XR, extended reality, and letting them know that here's where our institution is headed because we're paying attention to not just right now, but we are preparing for tomorrow. And in that instance, it was also an opportunity for us to begin the conversation about what does good instruction look like. Um, oftentimes, our faculty reference rigor as being a category, as well as the importance of what our mission is, and that is teaching and learning. But the, the expectation of technical and community colleges has continued to expand to include student success and workforce. So our alignment with the Achieving the Dream Network has brought on opportunities for us to have these courageous conversations that are steeped in what tools does a faculty member need to have to be successful in the 21st century global education space. And there's some baseline expectations now of current graduates. But in terms of thinking about those who are more seasoned uh, and senior faculty members, where they taught 30 years ago and how they taught 30 years ago uh, it has been advanced in terms of the utilization of tools that are technological in nature or uh, social in nature now with <clears throat> the various platforms that are available for instruction. So that's how we prepared. And I think that we prepared accordingly uh, with the, a plan of action that we allow the responsibility uh, to individuals and units for implementation and obviously assessment, making sure that we assessed what we did because there are some instances where we failed. Uh, one, of my, one of my biggest failures to date has been the fact that we wanted to move towards uh, esports and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, as, an, as an institution, I see the, the need for it because it ties to computer science, it ties to uh, coding, it ties to programming, uh, it, it ties to information communication technologies, but we just haven't been able to pull that one off yet. And that's something that we're very, very interested in and committed to because we see the largest uh, of it uh, across the, not just the U.S., but the globe. So planning, assessment, implementation, assessment again, um, and Probably one of the more important parts of that is the communication component is asking the question of groups of people who are interested in um, moving towards utilizing what we're going to purchase or creating our own. Uh, I think it's important to leverage the, the expertise of the faculty uh, and staff and admin that we currently have and of those community providers that are right in our backyard. So I think we've done our due diligence in, in getting ready. Um, but getting ready and implementation, those are two different things. Those are very helpful so strategies. The fact that you start off with stakeholder engagement early on and you actually engage with the community to see what their inputs and to get their buy-in early on. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the community members that are going to go to your school, advocate for the knowledge that you're providing and then applying and believing in the same values of the organization. Having a roadmap of like, and now you implement it, so what's your type of assessment to see like how the quality of the education being provided, 
how are the students learning material, the quality of the material being learned. So I think the assessment part is so critical. And I don't, I'm not really sure like how institutions are considering that as part of their new roadmap now. So any tips on yeah. that? Like how to like how do you assess right now given that everyone had to quickly adapt to online? And so at the same time, faculty shouldn't be penalized if they're you know, maybe some faculty are just taking a little longer to Absolutely. understand how to do online teaching. Right. So what are some ways right. that you could share with institutional leaders to be patient, um, but also being mindful that we do need to provide quality education, but how do you balance that? Well, I, I think that the, the key phrase, no pun intended key, <laughs> but the key phrase is that we have to be patient, we have to be vigilant, and we should not decrease our expectations for what our students' outcomes should be. But we should be patient not only with our faculty, but we need to be patient with our students. Because, you know, specifically for community colleges, we have to bear in mind that we have returning adult students who are of all ages and all ability levels who are now who have now agreed to and are migrating to uh, online delivery and learning. So getting them prepared and being patient with them. So I guess I guess I would call this strategies for being an ally uh, because I, I believe that's what a nonprofit does and, and that's what all community colleges in Eastern Tennessee, we're nonprofits and we're of service, we're service-oriented organizations. So connecting with local hospitals has been one of our strategies connecting with the sheriffs and police departments, uh, state police, um, connecting with the emergency medical management teams, uh, connecting with our local uh, and state elected officials, and asking questions of our students. Because if we're gonna do this, and we are doing it, then we need to beg the question from the student in terms of our delivery models, consistently asking the, the question, do you have what you need? Are you aware of the Wi-Fi hotspots that are near your town? Specifically, if you live in a more rural or suburban part of Tennessee, where we are, or you know, in the U.S., are you aware of where you can go and find a hotspot? Uh, do you need a tool that you, you currently may not have had enough financial aid to purchase a, a laptop or a, uh, a mobile device a tablet for, for use? Um, we're also thinking about... as well, 
who have their kids at home and who aren't going to work and they weren't structured or developed as teachers. So how are we going to make sure that, you know, we continue to develop those little brains um, so that they can grow into big brains and <clears throat> how we can tie in our expectations of meeting the competencies that our kids that are in elementary, middle, or high school are going to need to uh, appropriately be moved uh, and graduate from one grade to the, to the other. So I, I guess that when we talk about your strategies for being an ally, it's going to be dependent upon an institution's capacity in uh, in expectations of its of itself. Um, we want to not serve as just an organization within our community, but we want to also be a hub for information as as our organizations and partners deem appropriate. Um, so that's why the sharing of resources, strategies, ideas, toolkits, uh, et cetera, has been really, really important to us. And we, we see it catching catching on, and, and we hope to, to see it migrate uh, across the state of Tennessee, uh, that this is the way that we need to stay connected. That's great that your college decided to um, collaborate and to be an ally with the community to share these resources. And I think with the school closure, it's putting a huge burden on parents and families who now are need to work remotely or in some cases lost their jobs. And so like, how are they now, now burdened with this other task to like, they are now need to be teachers. And, you know, I don't think anyone would just be a teacher. It takes some time to prep and especially be specialized in a specific area or a field of education and also K through 12 where a teacher needs to have a very round, like well-rounded education to provide um, education to the student. And I think, how is it going to prepare parents or families to be that role right now for their child is to be a teacher? Well, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a, I don't know if the, the right phrase is catch 22 or not, but when you think about someone who's steeped in a particular discipline, or who learns a particular craft or skill set, and then they apply it. So the expectation that moms and dads um, are technically teachers um, is, is, is not accurate, but they are teachers because they're raising their kids, and that is teaching every day. So although they haven't gone through any formal training, being able to connect them with online resources that can frame the conversations that they need to have and frame uh, the work based on the student's grade band that he or she is in. It, it should allow for learning to continue. Um, it's, I, I think I'm really looking forward to some of the stories and uh, assessments that come out of how at least learning platforms for K-12 uh, and as well as higher ed were, were utilized because I want to know how did the mom who wasn't someone who homeschooled or the dad or grandparent or aunt or uncle who wasn't someone who homeschooled is now homeschooling um, using, using you know, uh, a mobile platform for that. In the state of Tennessee, our public broadcasting station, PBS, is utilizing uh, some of its uh, airtime to share learning and, and teaching uh, moments for, for kids. Um, and then NPT, I believe, in the greater Nashville area is, sh is sharing content from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So 
otherwise, looking at the web page we've conducted and created a resource page um, of sorts that lists various uh, tools that are online that are easily accessible through mobile phones or through uh, laptops or desktops where parents can get to content and work alongside of their children. Um, so uh, some counties are farther along than others. I know specifically in Putnam County, for example, uh, they use a, a platform that's called Vital, uh, where they're using for instruction online, and, and, and they're advanced to using like Google Hangouts and these types of tools to, to for instruction, but they were already doing it. By and large, it creates an opportunity because that's the way we have to look at it. We must look at it as it's creating an opportunity for us to look at the robust uh, availability of what I've mentioned before, teaching and learning platforms uh, that are both virtual, augmented, and extended through companies uh, that may be uh, tied to um, the emerging learning uh, solutions uh, push uh, in, in the 21st century. And I know I've mentioned a couple before, but these are the ones that I'm aware of that I know do a good job, and that's Lobaki uh, Inc. and Doghead Simulations. So those are groups that we're, we've been working with for quite some time to put in place um, emerging technology tools that um, already have curriculum and can be built out to meet the needs of, of, our, of our students. I think that's a good point that we can share with our listeners, um, especially parents out there that are listening, that you are a teacher and that perhaps that can help alleviate any stress that you feel that, oh, this is an extra thing you have to do now, but that there are actually resources through public TV stations and online resources that are having the teacher perhaps provide a lesson plan and that's in general i don't know it's perhaps about um, earth science and that any student in the world can watch that tune in and so that that could be a, a much more systematic way of providing universal education during this time so that there's less variability and also can alleviate the parents um, stress that they have to teach all this new material, but they've been teaching their kids. And so it's it's more of the, I guess, the support that they could be supporting. They could be finding resources and helping them through some of the assignments. And, and it could be also a good refresher for a lot of parents too, because they probably have learned a lot of the material. It's just they're like, yes, revisiting a lot of the information again. So, yeah, you know, yeah. like when, you know, Q, when you think about like uh, the enterprise for online Mm-hmm. virtual reality education and training. Um, these solutions typically uh, are anytime and on on time in terms of when a student accesses them or when a parent would access them with their child. These are some tools that should be self-paced. Uh, you can move through them uh, as you successfully uh, and appropriately answer questions or respond to to. Um, assessment questions, uh, whether it be in the areas of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, um, art, music. Uh, there, there are lots of great free, free uh, tools available uh, for parents to simply uh, search for, click on, and it's okay. Let's, let's go through a couple of these today. 
So, you know, I know we focused a lot on in our discussion about preparation um, for online teaching for students and getting the faculty ready. Another question I think is in people's mind is like, how is the university conducting operation? Like, how is it your administrator staff, even just the facility managers, the folks that keep the school running, like how are they prepared to shift to an online educational platform? Like, I think that's like the part that's maybe a little more fuzzy, like exactly how do you keep yeah. track of what's being done? I mean, faculty are usually on their own. They're like entrepreneurs. They teach their classes, do their research, and students learn. But like the behind the scene, like how is that actually being conducted in an online virtual platform now? I mean, are there anyone on campus right now or who's securing the campus? Just love to know like mm-hmm. how is that being done? Mm-hmm. And if you can share yeah, any so, tips. Yeah. Sure, sure. So, so um, Motlow State Community College created it. Uh, pandemic emergency management team and a pandemic emergency response plan. And within that plan, we have four levels. Uh, we're currently on level three. Uh, and level three denotes that uh, the physical campus locations are all closed, that we are operating online. That so, you know, and that's making a distinction in rhetoric, right? That yes, physically the campus is closed, but we are open online. Uh, in terms of our library operations, obviously the physical library is closed, but we are open online and the librarians are online to assist our students. There's of clinicals, uh, as well as uh, job shadowing, uh, OJT on the job training. Uh, currently, we don't have any students attending anything at the moment, but that's an ongoing discussion because in my earlier comments, uh, as we talked about the, the healthcare sector, uh, if someone in, is interested in being in healthcare, and let's say they're in a medical lab technology program, this is an opportune time to continue your clinicals. Uh, but no student is going to be forced to do anything at this time frame. That's going to be a decision that the, the student and, and and or his or her parents would have to make in consultation with understanding what the risks would be uh, for them to, to to continue going to clinicals. Um, so we've got a pretty clear uh, level of one, two, three, four in terms of here's what our college will will allow. There are essential personnel, uh, as we've tapped essential personnel to be available every day or as needed. Um, our governor has denoted that from March 25th through April the 6th that his expectation is that we minimize anyone being on campus whatsoever. But operationally, there's some things that still must take place as we get to the closer, closing end of a, of a month where we need to make sure employees are paid. We need to make sure that there's safe environments for any employee that may need to be on campus. So there's a check-in process that we created that each supervisor will be responsible for knowing who's on campus and making sure that our public safety officials know who's on campus so that we can keep safety and health at the forefront of everything that we're doing while we're practicing, uh, minimizing exposure and, and, and people being in the same spaces. So you're following the social distancing uh, initiatives uh, as well as other CDC and World Health Organization uh, edicts. Uh, we're also paying close attention and sharing information at large with our campus and community. Uh, that includes everyone, uh, faculty, staff, students, administrators, uh, retirees, emeritus folks, uh, community members, students, uh, can't say that enough, students, 
but making sure that they're aware of what they need to do in terms of hand washing. Um, and it's important to, to note that when we talk about who's on campus and what their functionality is, this isn't something that we expect for particular groups to be on campus every day. This is a very small list of personnel that should continue to whittle down um, to, to next to the public safety uh, officers who make sure that the, the campus is, is, is still safe and secure uh, on an as-needed basis. Um, we have students who may be in need of devices uh, because they don't have them. Uh, we have a drive-through system set up where students do not get out of their cars. They call in and set a time to pick up a device that we have in a bag that we hand to the student. So uh, those staff members and employees who are doing that for the, the institution and in support of our, our, our students, um, they're there to be applauded for that. So we put in a we put in a system based on our plan, and in terms of making sure we know who's on campus, we've also put that system in. It's uh, also in fixing with. As we go forward, we know that things will shift, and we will make those shifts as we move forward. Uh, because safety and security is, is of the utmost uh, importance when we have fewer people on campus and they're spaced out. So we need to know what buildings are um, being utilized. If, if we don't have <clears throat> people in spaces, obviously there's no access to those buildings. Uh, so it's a, it's a definite concerted effort amongst the institution for communication, check in and checking in and checking out. Um, for employees specifically, uh, various units are operating at, at different times in terms of their check-in and check-out process. Um, but we're making sure we keep um, a, a, a list and or a virtual list or an email list of who's on campus and who's not on campus and when people are checking in. So it, it's not tedious um, because it's important that we stay connected, as I talked about before, that we can't physically connect, we virtually connect. I think it's important that, that we that we do this right now, especially at the beginning of this. Yeah, that's good to hear that there is a emergency management response plan that's been instituted in your organization. And like other institutions, there is usually like an emergency response plan. And so that hopefully helps appease the fear among families out there, like what's going on that like they shut down and there was no roadmap. But in most institutions, there usually is some type of strategic plan in the case of these emergency issues. I mean, I think no one really planned for the coronavirus pandemic, but it's good to right, there's right. like this management plan. You did mention that this is a level three issue. Maybe you could tell us more about the different levels and what's the highest level that is there a concern? So we have four levels in our level, our level two, because I think I mentioned level three already, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lo- level one, you know, we're operating pretty much as normal. Uh, level two, we go to modified operations. Um, you know, at level two, people can choose to work from home. Uh, you can choose to move to classes online only. Uh, but when you move to level three, uh, that's also where we say, okay, we have to start thinking about who is our essential personnel because we've moved not from modified operations, but we've moved to online operations and all campuses are physically closed uh, and, and definitely you know, no public 
um, are avail- are allowed to, to come on campus. Um, that keeps us the most most safe, I believe. Um, level floor would be, you know, we're closed, no services, no classes. Um, so I believe that our level three is where we're going to stay uh, for the foreseeable future because it offers us an opportunity to continue to stay engaged with students, to continue to provide instruction, and to continue to provide support services, not just for our students, but our employees as well. So for level four, you said the school is closed. You mean even for online? Or what makes the difference between level three and level four? Yeah. Right. So level four would be that, I don't know if I can say that it's not appropriate to say, but it, it, it's beyond our control. Like there, you know, there have to be a shutdown in the way we operated because people were ill. There would be so many people ill that we couldn't function. So that would be a level four where it would be impossible for us to do any of the work that we're currently doing at level three. So that's why I believe that we'll, we'll stay at level three. Oh, so level four is when everything is shut down. And so let's hope that, that we don't right. get to that um, time and that the yes. pandemic is controlled. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. So it sounds to me that in it sounds to me that because your college have invested in online platforms and online technology and that you had a training this past summer, it sounds to me that people were supportive, like within the faculty and community of using online education. But you know, were there any challenges as I have there been challenges along the way, like during this pandemic um, to even just quickly move so quickly to online? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the expectation that everyone looks at the delivery of education in the same way when that's not how they were um, brought up through the system or brought up through the ranks to say, this is the way that you can instruct. Um, obviously, there were some paradigm shifts for our faculty. Uh, there are some paradigm shifts for our adjuncts as well. And this organization for staff and administrators, there's a, a paradigm shift in terms of I don't get to see someone every day uh, or I'm seeing someone through a screen every day. Um, but I, I will say that the challenges that we faced in terms of not a hesitance or a resistance to move to online, um, but knowing that people were working 12 to 16 hours a day and over the weekends uh, to get this done. That's a big deal. Uh, and, and when I say people, I'm talking about the faculty and admin teams that work to move this forward and then the, the support staff that, that help them get it up. And then our, our IT teams that are monitoring this, our desire to learn teams that are monitoring this. It, it was, I, I used the term Herculean before key and, and that's the, maybe I, I should start thinking about Atlas uh, or Sisyphus, you know, someone who continues to push the boulder up the hill and it's still heavy and you, you just got to keep it up there. So the, the challenges that we have have been about transition, about ma- migration, and we are asking the questions of not just about moving information from one place to another, but to move it from one place to another and deliver it using quality standards like quality management. QM uh, or OLC's uh, checklist for uh, making sure you're delivering something well developed uh, online. So we want to make sure that we use standards to continue to teach
and instruct so that our students learn at a high quality level. And you know, we won't know the answer to that for a while. Uh, so that, that whole thought process behind us talking about being patient with one another it is a part of that. So learning patience perhaps is one of the, one of the challenges for me personally. Uh, I don't know that I'm a patient person. I know that I, I move pretty quickly uh, all the time. And, and that's just how uh, our teams have operated. But learning patience is probably going to be one of the things that challenges us, uh, but also forces us uh, to think through how we're delivering and developing our systems uh, for implementation. Um, Personnel-wise, uh, I mentioned before being cognizant of how this is impacting everyone, and that that can't be lost on anyone in any discussion if you're leading an institution or organization. Uh, it, it's not just about the bottom line. It's about connecting with the people who are making things move um, and keeping it uh, keeping everything afloat, literally. So the the mindfulness. You know, every day we meet at eight thirty, and we close the day at three thirty. Um, and I, I attempt. I, I don't think I've done it every day, but I attempt to start off with the important things, and that is your family, that is communication, that is supporting each other, and that is to <clears throat> do what I believe is necessary. And this is a time for nurturing, uh, to make sure that people know that it's okay to ask questions and that we should be patient with one another. Um, so those are, those are the things that are at, at my fingertips uh, in terms of challenges. Mm-hmm. I mentioned some groups that I mentioned some groups before that I think that we can begin and, and should always keep in the conversation. And, and that is uh, people who have addictions um, to make sure that during this time frame we at least provide some type of resource to them uh, or connective tissue, whether again it be a phone call or a tele a telecall uh, virtually, so they can see, you know connect with sponsors or connect with agencies that can assist them. Um, I, I, I do. I do consider that um, a very important population uh, to be mindful of. Well, thank you for sharing these challenges because I think even even though they may be providing hybrid online courses or or have or have been offering online courses, there are similar challenges and that it's okay and that to be patient and to have you know maybe shift your expectations on outcomes during this time. But within this, during this time, like, can you share any good news or any unexpected positive? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this is, I mean, all of our conversations, obviously, because of the nature of the work that we do, are framed in the, arch, the archetype of higher education. But this is about the human condition. This is about human beings doing good. Uh, this is about human beings supporting each other. Um, We've had some some faculty members who have uh, had 17 and 20 virtual meetings already, and and that was as of yesterday. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of them. Uh, I told I'm, I'm hoping we, we have a phrasing around the college. You talk about it's okay to break some eggs. You know, it, it's okay to make mistakes, and I, I'm hoping that we we, we break our servers uh, during this time frame, being so connected to students and, and connected to each other. Um, I was reading some posts this morning about neighbors who are supporting neighbors in, in the state of Tennessee with uh, uh, yard-to-yard conversation, uh, yard-to-yard uh, 
or, or excuse me, yard to yard conversation and porch to porch coffee meetings. Um, the way that people are connecting online to sing happy birthday and to celebrate each other. Um, so, so, so those are some those are some good things that have come out of this. I will say that I believe we are that much more connected. Um, and, and obviously, it's going to be in pockets and in groups based on discipline uh, to some degree. But we're that much more connected. And I do believe that as an institution and as a community, we recognize uh, the togetherness that we have. Uh, and we're pooling together while we're, pu- while we're pulling together. Um, in, the, in the South, the, you know, we, we do a great job, I believe, of taking care of each other. And that could mean you know, sending over uh, a plate or making a casserole when we were able to uh, connect that way. But in these times, we're finding new ways to connect. And um, it's, it's, it's exciting uh, to, to see people um, reconnect with families. Um, you know, I, I had a friend who sent me a message key that was really funny. He said, uh, and, and he's often on the road and, and, and we do some of the same kinds of work uh, in terms of supporting uh, institutions. Uh, through, you know, uh, VR and AR and these types of things. And he said, uh, I came home and I saw this stranger in my house. And I was like, a stranger was in your house when you got home? He said, yes. He said, she looked familiar. And then when I got beside her, I figured it was my wife. So I know that that's anecdotal and and it's funny to some and may not be funny to others, but um, here's a time for us to connect and reconnect uh, with our families um, and, and more importantly, because it's very difficult to love someone else if you can't find some self-love. So this is a, this is going to be a good time for, for people to do those things in the, the sense that we all understand that we are also under duress. You know, we, we are all in situations where tough decisions are being made about people's employment. Um, and, and we're seeing that increase. Uh, but I think that as Americans, uh, as a Southerner, uh, we're, uh, we persevere um, and we stick to uh, what we start. And, and this is going to be another um, indication of it because we will come out better uh, as, as a nation, as institutions, uh, and, and as people. Thank you for sharing those good news and the unexpected positive that we're all experiencing now that for those that are in affect the cities and are required to stay at home or required to work remotely, and you have a spouse or your family members also stuck at home, then it is a good time for a reflection, for having conversations again, right? Um, so just texting your spouse or your partner or your friends is maybe pick up the phone to have a real conversation because now you have the time and the space to do that. Also maybe pick up hobbies or explore um, or re-explore your talents in the past. So now you have the space to do that. So I thank you for sharing those positives so that we can see that even given in this mist of darkness that we can't see out, we can't see the light out of it, but we can create our own light within us and share that with our neighbor or with someone who may need that to share share with that. Um, so I really appreciate that. Dr. Torrance, like what leadership advice can you share with other administrator in education to appease the fear among the faculty, staff, student body, or the community in general? Because I mean, 
regardless that we can see some good news and we can hear some expected positive, but you know, I think there is that little sense of fear among us. And then how do we control that so it doesn't go doesn't get out of control? Well, I think it's important when you're responsible and have been entrusted to lead anything uh, that you begin with being authentic. Uh, personally and professionally, I, I don't have any qualms with letting people know where I am, uh, whether I'm in a, in a good space because of this or I'm in a bad space because of this. So I think authenticity uh, is going to be important for any leader. Um, communicating as effectively and as often as they deem appropriate for their campus and community cultures is going to be important. And then lastly, uh, self-care, because you can't lead if you're not in a healthy space uh, or a healthy headspace. So self-care in terms of being reflective and connecting with others who are in similar roles, uh, because we don't have to do this by ourselves. I think it's important that they reach out and connect with others who are doing the same work and leading similar or pure Nashville institutions so they can get feedback on uh, approaches and steps they're being taken. Um, it's very important that as professionals, we understand that it's not cheating when you share, it's collaboration. Oh, I like that. It's about collective effort now and that it's okay to have a little fear. One of the fears colleges and universities or even any type of training program is like, how would the coronavirus pandemic impact emissions for fall 2020? Like any advice for educational institution to survive and thrive through this economic impact? Well, that was that that's of a, a big concern. Uh, as I mentioned, some of those institutions that are subject or categorized by HBCU, PWI, MSI, Indigenous um, colleges and universities, um, preparation. And again, I think that that's going to take a collective effort as well. And I think this is this, this is the common denominator in this instance, in this time, that there is no, there is not an organization that needs to think that it's alone out there on an island, uh, that it can't reach out to colleagues, to colleagues or to institutions bigger and or smaller than itself, uh, to find support, to gain support, to lean into tools and resources that other organizations currently have. Um, I'm I'm very very proud of how, as a country, we've responded and our, our large providers of internet and services have provided uh, to answer the call. We're gonna let this be free for the next 60 to 90 days. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. But personnel and skill set, uh, some institutions don't have any instructional designers. Some institutions have 20. So being able to leverage the resources uh, within your local area and your state or across the nation if it's if it's feasible and possible. Um, I know that instructional designers are not getting a lot of sleep right now. And I think also students are a little bit worried about quality of the education they're getting now. I mean, like on-campus students are now switching to online. Like, how would that impact, I guess, them? Like, are colleges or universities considering free classes in the summer or reduced tuition? But then at the same time, that will have an economic impact to organization as well. So any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's important for students to know that one of the focal areas for institutions, and I'm certain of this, is how do they support students who are online now in the same way they provided support service for students that were taking courses brick and mortar face-to-face. And 
that is that too is is an area that needs to have patience because there are going to be institutions that were were and are further along than others. So the student support services, whether it be tutoring, whether it be mental health, or some other uh, resource that was available to students, students uh, need to be patient with their uh, places of higher ed that they're attending currently and understand that institutions and their leadership teams and uh, organizationally are thinking about the scope and breadth of what they provide face-to-face and are, are definitely trying to re- replicate those services uh, in an online platform. So patience, 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 please. Yeah, I think the key phrase there is patience, patience with the system, patient with what the government is doing and handling this, patience with your faculty, with your teachers, patient with yourself in this new reality. So thank you so much, Dr. Torrance, for sharing all these very helpful tips and strategies and to move forward in this new reality. Um, we would love to, if it's possible that you could share, like how has your personal life changed during this time? Well, I, I, I think that it's uh, my, the way that I operated before is that I was in various counties daily. So to be situated in one space uh, for a duration of time is really, uh, it's not really any different uh, professionally because I'm still connecting with the same groups and working uh, to be as effective as possible as you can now. Uh, but personally, uh, I'm grateful and thankful uh, for the help of the people that I'm most close to, um, you know, both in my household and externally. Um, but as a community, uh, you know, where I live, we were just recently, uh, several weeks ago, we had a tornado go through, uh, and, you know, we lost several members of our community. So we're still on the back end of that, um, and working through all of the emotional, um, baggage that's associated with, uh, when something like that happens uh, where you live versus where you don't live and you just read about it or you see it on, on the news. Uh, and then on top of that, this pandemic and the transition, transition, transition and the development of our online platform at Bobo State. Um, so this has been a, a learning curve for me as a human being uh, and an exercise in understanding that uh, just because one day I was walking across uh, the earth and I had one idea of the way that it was, and then all of a sudden it moved. And so it has forced me to um, recalibrate and, and, and really assess uh, what's important. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, that's my family um, and uh, those things that I'm committed to and passionate about. So uh, it, it's, it's been good. It's been good to, to have that reflective exercise. Um, but it's it's very uh, eye-opening and sobering um, to collectively consider all that is, is occurring uh, in relation to the people that I work with every day. So uh, that's why I am as a person. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Dr. Torrance. I think this is a time for reflection and just to re as a reset to seeing what we really value. So I really appreciate you sharing that. As we come to a close to our interview, Dr. Torrance, do you have any golden nuggets of advice for leaders leading their organization through this new reality? Sure, Kia. And it's just two things. And I think that we're all capable of doing it. One is be mindful, uh, mindful of not only yourself, but all of those that you're ultimately responsible for. 
uh, and two. And then secondly, make sure that we um, attempt to find the joy in the work that we do every day. I think it's important that working from a place of joy um, allows us to uh, offset uh, and, and keep our, our energy high uh, because people are looking to us not to misrepresent what's going on, uh, but but definitely still, we're still leading. Uh, and the expectation is that uh, and when you lead, you are uh, service-oriented and you're giving of yourself. So uh, that's, that's something else I think is important. You know, working with joy uh, is, is something that I talk about uh, frequently. Higher education will come back better, broader, and more technically savvy uh, at the end of this. Um, continue to, to get the work done and have high expectations of yourself. And at the end of the day, uh, they are capable of doing it and learning new skill sets only prepares them to be better when they move beyond higher ed. So uh, I believe in you. I want students to know that everywhere. I believe in you. So uh, let's go and make it happen. Thank you so much for all the information you share with us today. And how will our listeners connect with you and learn more about your college? Uh, they can go to our webpage, uh, www.mscc.edu, or they can just connect with me on LinkedIn. I think it's easier to connect with me on LinkedIn to find out what's going on. I, I, I post something uh, frequently. Well, thank you so much for being available to our listeners. And thank you so much for spending your time with us here today, Dr. Torrance. Um, my pleasure, Keith. Thank you for having me. And uh, to everyone out there, uh, we will see the other side of this and we'll be better for it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Keith. Talk to you soon. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so that we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.